Hello, and welcome to the X Oilfield Resource Podcast with Reed Styles. I formerly worked as a reservoir engineer for a large exploration and production company. And in 2017, I transitioned my career to a financial technology startup and then on to a business development role at an investment company. I'm fascinated by how people took their experience in the oil and gas industry and successfully applied their specialties to other careers and industries. I'm interviewing ex-oil field professionals with the intention of sharing their stories to inspire others to explore new careers. Today, I'm speaking with Annie Brennan. After graduating with her master's in geology, Annie began working in sales and business development at Inveris, where she now works as a systems trainer in their sales success team. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Reed. Yeah, thanks for being here. And Kind of set the stage for the listeners, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe where you call home and a little bit about your educational background. Yeah, sure thing. Um, Well, I guess I'll start off a little bit in the beginning. I'm from Lafayette, Louisiana, but I spent some time in Bali Pop in Indonesia when my dad worked as a geophysicist for Unical. So oil and gas has been in the family for a while. When I was growing up, my mom joked that my teachers would say um, that if I don't do something big with my life, that they would be surprised. I guess I had a big personality. Um, I worked hard, but I also loved connecting with people. I did theater. I made a lot of uh, funny home videos. And it's interesting that I um, ended up where I did. Um, after Lafayette, I moved to Baton Rouge for school. And I had a a great time at LSU, especially because I decided to study geology. It's a great field of study. Everything is related back to geology. I currently live in Austin, Texas, though I've been quarantining with my parents in uh, Lafayette, Louisiana. And I just love Austin. The city is amazing. It's beautiful. The, The lake that runs through the middle of the city, it's a central gathering spot in the middle of just this bustling city. Anybody can go bike, run, walk, and and I just that's my favorite part about it. Um, the city itself has the best energy. I mean, it's my home, and I guess other than that, I I love yoga, reading, I play sand volleyball, I'm training for a, a 10k race, and um, the biggest event um, you know in my life right now, I guess, besides quarantining, is just working really hard at my job. I'm um, a systems trainer for the sales success team at Inveris. So take me back to your college days. I know that most geologists, you know, generally do a bachelor's and then go on to a master's. So maybe you could walk us through that time when, you know, you got your bachelor's finished and then what made you go ahead and do your master's and kind of what careers were you trying to get with that master's? Yeah, that's a really good question. So when I was at LSU, um, nobody really thought about what they were going to do next. I mean, not until you were a junior or a senior. And I think that was kind of attributed to the fact that a lot of what LSU would would teach, the the classes that you would take, and, and just the, the type of people that were involved in the geology department, um, a lot of it was geared towards further education. And so, I mean, we just took our classes, we went on field trips, we went to field camp, and we were just having a great time learning about geology. And so when I was going to graduate, I definitely didn't feel prepared to move on to a job because all I knew was geology. Um, And so I applied for some grad schools, and I ended up picking the University of Louisiana Lafayette 
for my master's. And, you know, I, I really wanted to be, I really wanted to stand out when I was going to be looking for positions in the industry. And constantly I would hear, you know, you need to get your master's in order to get a job at an EMP company. That was the goal. I wanted to be a, a geologist at some big exploration company. My dad was a, a geophysicist at Unical and we got to live overseas. And I just thought that would be, you know, that would be the pinnacle. I would know that I'd made it if I got to be an expat, um, working on some big field overseas. Um, and so that, that's kind of what led me to my master's and I learned a lot. I mean, geology itself is just such an interesting science and everything's related back to it. So, um, not only did I get a really good education, but I mean, I, I feel like a lot of the things that I've, I've learned constantly come up even, even in my current role. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. I, I, I actually had the same career aspirations going to ConocoPhillips, you know, it's like, <laughs> Oh, I can go to this big company and then I can go work abroad and I can be an expat. And then, <laughs> you know, as soon as I started, they said, yeah, we're doubling down Reality on hits. Midland. Yeah. They're <laughs> like, like, yeah, we're, we're actually freezing all expat positions. So, yeah, you know, things, things don't always work out the way that you planned and that's okay. I think, you know, your story is so fascinating because of just your adaptability. So can you kind of walk us through your experience in the oil field as a geologist and then what happened to, uh, to land you in a sales position right after school? When I was in school, I did have definitely a few internships that were so much fun. Um, when I was an undergrad, I was a student worker at this smaller oil and gas company in Baton Rouge. And my boss only called me a student worker. He didn't want to call it an internship. So I don't, I don't know what that was about, but I certainly learned a lot with him. I learned how to slip logs, make subsurface maps. I learned the, the language of the oil and gas industry. And that was really eye-opening. Um, and our focus was onshore Louisiana. My other internships when I was in grad school, again, focused onshore Louisiana conventional plays, and those are really fun to work. I mean, really complex geology um, and, you know, drilling conventionally, it's it's pretty fun to prospect for, for those types of targets. Um, and so when I was in school, I, I learned a lot about Louisiana oil and gas made a lot of maps. I really enjoyed it. And when I was in school, I really did want to stay in geology. I mean, you know, looking back on it, that's where I was comfortable. That had been such a big part of my life for so long. But when I went to apply for positions in the industry, the industry wasn't great. I mean, what what I was hearing was, if if you haven't been an intern with us before, probably not a chance of getting a position. Um, and you know, the internships themselves were pretty difficult to get. And so a lot of people were going into mud logging. Um, and you know, I just, I feel like there's just this one day, literally just one day where I sat back and I was like, okay, you know, there's, there's gotta be something else. Like what is your priority, Annie? Is it, is it really to be a geologist or is it to live somewhere amazing or is it to, meet a, a lot of really interesting people or is it to learn and, and be an expert in some field? You know, what is it? And so, um, I decided that I wanted to kind of gear it around where I wanted to set up my life, you know, where I wanted to live. So I started looking in, um, for geology esque positions in really cool cities. And I, 
ended up in Austin. Um, I had actually used formally, um, in various formally drilling and find use the platform when I was in grad school for my thesis. And so I knew a lot about the company. I actually knew a couple of people that worked at Inveris. And so, um, I saw the position and I applied for it and, you know, it was kind of one of those things where I applied for it and then like shut my computer and, and walked away from it. I didn't want to think about it too much, but I ended up getting an email. They were interested in me. I ended up going through a, a series of interviews and the people that I interviewed with, they were just so much like me. The way that they communicated, I mean, they were cracking jokes in the interview. Just, I could tell they were really smart and they were really happy with where they were. And I just knew that that was probably a place that I could, I could also be happy. Um, so the position was for business development within the sales organization. I don't know how I came upon that because a lot of geology was not involved. But, you know, I've read a lot of books about just business and, and management, you know, um, leadership. And a lot of them say that the best place to start out if you ever want to run a business or if you want to know about business is at the bottom of a sales organization, which, you know, business development starting from the ground up. And it was it's been such a great experience. So that's kind of a long-winded version. I started at Inveris in business development and learned a lot. And now I've transitioned over to the systems trainer role uh, where I get to work with almost everybody at the company. So you got the job with Inveris. You're starting a sales role for them. So you're working software as a service, SaaS for those that aren't aware. So can you just walk us through like what's it like working at a SaaS company and what should people expect when they're interviewing for those jobs or if they're looking for those careers? Yeah, you know, Reed, I'm, I'm really glad you asked that question because I feel like I kind of fell upon it serendipitously and it's just been the greatest experience. Um, you know, you walk into a company like Inveris and I'm not really sure what it's like at other companies. I imagine it's similar. Um, you walk in and first you see the break room. And there's a papa shot, there's a ping pong table, there's unlimited coffee, there's um, free snacks in the middle of the, the lunch table. Um, and then you keep walking and you see this floor of just people sitting in cubicles. You know, nobody has their own offices. People are on the phone, um, walking around um, on their computers. I mean, there's just a lot of activity and it's so infectious. I mean... SaaS companies are a cool place to work. There's so much going on at every given moment of the day. Um, and it's so much about collaboration. We celebrate wins together. Um, you know, we, we work with the different groups, product, marketing, sales. We have a really awesome strategic um, analytics team. And it's just, it, it's a place that I never knew existed. Um, and so if, if you like, you know, that, that high energy, high activity, um, pushing boundaries, um, communicating, getting outside of your comfort zone. Um, I mean, we do a lot of really cool things and we work really hard, but we also know how to, to celebrate and, and pat ourselves on the back. And we have really great leaders that help us do that too. So, um, it's, it's just been, it's been a really cool, really cool place to be. So that's really interesting. You know, I think a lot of geologists automatically assume that they're going to be extremely specialized. They're going to be kind of a behind the scenes type of personality and a team player. 
but extremely technical. So maybe you've, as as you've seen and trained other salespeople and you've been a salesperson yourself, what are some qualities that you look for that make people really successful in that role? Whenever I was in business development, I actually had the amazing opportunity to step up into a team lead role and we were growing a lot. So we went through a lot of interviews. And so I, I had the opportunity to interview a lot of individuals for the business development position. But one thing that we always were looking for was somebody who was hungry, humble and smart. And, you know, a lot of people possess a certain percentage of those three things, but to have an even balance of those is huge, especially for a sales organization. You know, it you can't be in sales if you're not money motivated, um, if you're not competitive. We look for people who are like that, but also humble. You know, it's, you don't always have all the answers. It's really important to be able to collaborate. And then, you know, obviously smart. I mean, that can mean a lot of different things. Are you emotionally intelligent? Can you pick up on cues? Can you hold a conversation with, with some of our customers? Do you understand the industry? And so quite honestly, having that technical background is huge. But in, in a sales organization, it's really important to be able to have that great communication and and be hungry and humble. Um, so I would say those are three really big ones that we focus on specifically. A little more like in the weeds, maybe of some, some skills that people could either work on or really self-reflect about. I would say organization skills have been huge. You know, in my current role as a systems trainer, we're working with a lot of different people amongst three different business units at a really big company. And we focus on basically anything that you can think of in oil and gas from leasing land all the way to trading commodities. And so it's a lot of information and you have a lot of different conversations. And so to have a really good method of staying organized is, is pretty big. And then I guess I would just say one thing that's really gotten me pretty far, um, you know, not only being passionate about what you do, but it's also about problem solving. You know, the the reason why I got into this systems trainer role was because when I was in business development, there were some things that I thought we could do better. And so rather than just complain about them and hope somebody else would fix them, I presented them and then tried to come up with solutions. And they weren't always right, but I learned so much about our business from doing that. And so whenever they were hiring for a systems trainer position, they wanted somebody who had those good ideas and who was creative and would come up with solutions for problems that we were trying to solve and that could communicate those effectively. I would say that that's also a really big one. How did you specifically find this job at Inveris? And if you had to go over, if you had to do it all over again, would you like what means would you use to find jobs? A lot of what happened in grad school was by word of mouth. Um, but at the same time, everybody in grad school was looking for very specific roles. And so I went on Indeed and I, I looked up a lot of people on LinkedIn and I just started connecting with people regardless of whether I knew them or not. And a couple times, you know, I would send people messages just saying, this is where I am. I'm just curious to know more about what you do. And there were a couple of times that I actually had some phone conversations with those individuals and nothing ever came of it for those positions. But it gave me a lot of confidence that everybody that you talk to, for the most part, really does want to help. Um, they they can't always um, but I, I just felt like I got a lot of confidence in, in who I am, um, in the power of just asking people for help. I mean, I think the hardest thing is just taking that first step. 
Um, and so I found the Inveris position on Indeed, but I called one of the guys I knew that worked there. I had gone to undergrad with him. And the phone call, I wasn't expecting anything out of it. I just was wondering, did he enjoy it? Was he using geology? Did he think I would like it? Um, if so, what should I do next? And he, he helped me out. I, you know, got connected with somebody else. And I mean, again, it's, you start somewhere, but it is kind of a lot about connections and who, you know, it's so tough sometimes to ask for help, but I think that level of just humbleness and humility, like you said, you weren't necessarily looking for anything and you were, you know, if for some reason you had reached out to that person and they'd been too busy to help or whatever, it may not have even been that big of a deal. So I think that's something people can take away is that you should shoot your shot. You know, you should give it a try and reach out to people and not be afraid to ask for help. And who knows, they may, you know, not be able to help you and that's okay, you know, but at least you gave it a try. And if they do help you, then it's a huge win. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually just listening to this podcast about people that are in, in quarantine and getting anxiety over things that might happen in the future, may or may not happen. But usually the the anxiety that you have about some things is it's always worse than the actual event, you know, so just reaching out to people, it's um, there's there's a lot of good that comes out of it. But I asked the last sales person, Tyler, about this. Can you think of a specific sales story that either you had or maybe a mentor had that really helped them improve their selling or improve their interviewing skills? One of the things that I hear, you know, whenever we interview people is, all right, well, did he close? You know, did it, did he ask for the deal? Did, you know, did he ask for the job? Did he ask if he got it? And if not, you know, that, that doesn't mean it's a no, but that's definitely something that really impresses us. You know, if somebody has the confidence to just ask the question, okay, well, great. How did I do? Did I get the job? And you know, what, what other questions do you have that I can convince you that I'm the right person for this job? So honestly, just kind of getting to the punch. I don't know if that's great for other industries other than, than a sales organization, but I love it. I would probably use it. Wow. No, that's awesome. I, I'm worried that now everyone's going to do this in your interviews now. So you're going to have to come up with plan B on it. <laughs> I know. I know. That's right. Listen, let them do it. Honestly, there's an art behind it too. You know, there's the timing's got to be right and you got to look them straight in the eye and I'm giving even more away now, but that's okay. Well, okay. So eye contact and asking if they got the job. Okay. We're good. No. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> And don't come to me if it doesn't work, but I'm sure it will help. Times are tough for a lot of people right now in the industry. And, you know, it's just a lot of uncertainty out there. Is there a specific resource or kind of training or certification you'd recommend for people that may want to get into a sales position that they could kind of be working on right now and, you know, kind of building a skill set? I'm going to answer this in, in two parts. In terms of building a skill, I would say there's a lot of books about sales um, acumen and and having a sales process. And, you know, a lot of people might have a bad taste in their mouth about sales, but it, it is a fascinating, fascinating segment of the industry. There are a lot of books out there that talk about sales process. One of the ones that, that I like, it's called Sandler Training. Um, and it's a lot about communicating with people and and asking questions and, and letting people kind of guide the conversation because we like to say that, um, you know, you don't want to 
they call it paint seagulls in someone's picture. You know, you don't want to place something that's not there. And so I would say reading up on sales process would be would be fantastic. In addition, though, just having a general knowledge of what's going on in the industry and what people are going through would give you a huge upper hand if you are ever trying to sell a solution to people um, that are that are in those positions. In addition, you know, this is a maybe a smaller subset of people, but we are actually starting up a program at Inveris. The manager of our technical advisor team, he's starting a program called the Seekers program. And what it's going to be is is basically if if you're a displaced employee in the oil and gas business, we would be offering up drilling info subscription for say a month and we are still in the process of of putting it together, but it should be completed within the next month or so, but we would give out the subscription to drilling info along with the, along with continuing education for, um, how to best present yourself in an interview. Um, you know, we would present webinars on how you can basically beef up your resume using the information that lives within drilling info. So that's an amazing program and it makes me so proud to work where I do. It's definitely one thing that people should look out for over the next month. Oh man, the Seekers program sounds awesome. I remember in 2016 when I experienced the layoffs, that would have been super helpful to just, I mean, I can think of so many cool use cases where you could stay sharp on what's going on and watch things. And then also at the same time, you know, the software already exists. So you're, you're kind of training people to use drilling info also if they haven't used it yet. So then they can put that on their resume and use that um, Mm -hmm. in their next skill or their next job. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one thing that I heard when I was talking to Jason about this program is he didn't just talk about it in terms of people finding positions in oil and gas, which I thought was so interesting. It was more of like, how can you take the information that lives within drilling info? You know, maybe you worked on a project in the Permian Basin or, you know, maybe you had a hand in in some acreage acquisition or, or something that you could take and put it on your resume to show that you know, you have skills that are not just relevant for oil and gas. A lot of the things that people have done can be used in many different industries. I mean, that's the whole goal of this podcast is to really extract those nuggets of value that people have figured out where they've, it's almost a marketing task. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm not just a geologist. I'm a person that can break down really complex data and then present it in a more digestible way for my boss and really own that data. And then as your boss looks at you, they can feel very confident in your abilities. And that can really translate to other industries where you could just learn a different, um, you know, type of data analysis or something like that. So that's really great that Embarrass is, is doing that. I mean, I think it's a an obvious win for everyone. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see what comes out of it. If people were interested in the Seekers program, what would be the best way for them to keep up with that? Or to keep up with similar types of programs? Unfortunately, because it's still in the the works, there's really not anywhere they could go. Um, but absolutely, they could email me and I'd be more than happy to stay in touch with them and give them updates on um, where we are in the process. Like I said, it, it should be completed within the next month and then we'll have a lot more information. Of course, we'll have all of Annie's information that if you want to reach out to her and ask her a specific question, we'll have the details in the show notes of the episode. But do you have an ask for the audience? Um, If someone has a question or where can they connect with you? Please add me on LinkedIn. I I absolutely love staying up and seeing what people are up to 
always email me and definitely don't hesitate to reach out. So it seems like uh, just my impression that you've you found some mentorship, whether it was through your parents that were in the industry or maybe like some um, upperclassmen that you've kind of been able to network with. So can you give some people some tips on how they could find uh, mentors or so what are the best characteristics of mentors that you've had in your life? Like what makes a good mentor? Mentorship. It definitely is a two way street. I think it's important if you have a mentor to, to stay consistent um, and always follow up with them. Um, but some of the some of the best mentors that I had, I mean, they were just always in my corner and they were always cheering me on regardless of the situation. So, you know, I remember I had a professor at LSU and anytime he would walk down the hall and he'd see me, he would say, Dr. Brennan, how are you? You know, and uh, (laughs) he was a great mentor of mine. I mean, he just always he always made you feel like no matter what you did, you were good at it. Even if like you failed a test, there was some reason like you were good at what you did. He believed in you and he, he was always there to help. And so I guess mentors should make you feel good about yourself. (laughs) Um, and they should have, they should be vulnerable with you. I think, you know, I think it would be hard to have a mentor that was perfect all the time or, or didn't reveal some of the less beautiful aspects of their lives with you because we're all people and we all go through stuff. And so, yeah, I mean, I've, I've had some incredible people come into my life and they've been very open with me and honest and encouraging. And they've always told me, you know, that, anything less than my best is, is a disservice to myself. You know, I I don't know if that's a great answer to the question, but that's certainly been my experience. I know that the mentors I've had, I would say the one key is that most of them are more experienced than me in some way. So I've kind of looked at them as a guiding light, but then also, you know, you ask, I've always tried to be curious and ask lots of questions and also stick to my guns and challenge things. And I think that those two things together have been a nice combo where I've been able to ask harder questions and then I've stuck to my guns until they proved me that I was wrong. And then I had to exercise humility and yeah. <laughs> say, Oh, you're right. My bad. My bad. And- yeah. Being able to have that type of relationship with somebody, you know, not be afraid to question. I think that's also really important. That's absolutely right. Well, this has been such an amazing conversation, and I I can't let you go without us talking about, do you have a book or a resource that specifically made a big impact for you and your career or in sales specifically? Yes. So when I started in business development, I wanted to know a lot about business and a lot about sales and and leadership. And um, there was this one book, um, you know, you kind of have to kind of have to get through the the first couple of pages, but The Advantage by Patrick Lincioni was a, a great book, great introduction to how how business works. In addition, the Challenger Sales, the um, Good to Great, and then Start with Why is a fantastic book for um, motivating people that might work with you or under you. Well, and love those uh, books. I've actually read from good to great or good to great, but I'm gonna have to check out those other three. And then what was the podcast you mentioned earlier when you were talking about the coronavirus? Wait, I have it right here. (laughs) Oh, the ex-oil filled resource podcast on Apple Podcasts. Oh, that's so convenient. Yeah. And just with that, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Oh my God, that's awesome. So it was 
an April 7th episode. It was from TED Talks Daily, and it's called It's Okay to Feel Overwhelmed. I think we can all relate to that title. I mean, good grief. Hopefully, uh, you know, we're hoping everyone, wishing everyone the best, and hopefully we're on the back nine of this whole thing. And with that, let's close it out. Annie, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your story on the X oil field resource. I'm walking away with a better understanding of SaaS sales jobs, sales interviewing, and great resources to boost my business skills. I appreciate your candor and willingness to share what you like most about your job and your professional mentors. We're all excited to see how a project like the Seekers program could have a big positive impact for job seekers. It sounds like that will be a great follow-up podcast once it's live and being used. I can't wait to hear how it goes. And if anyone has a specific question that wasn't answered on the podcast, we hope you'll connect with either Annie or myself on LinkedIn. Both of the links are down below. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to support it, consider rating it five stars in the Apple Podcasts app. And while you're there, subscribe for future weekly episodes. And finally, if you know anyone that would make a great guest on this show, please email me, read, R-E-E-D, at xoilfield.com. See you next time. Yeah, it's really been my pleasure, Reed. 